1: Welcome to the Arsenal Women Askcast on askblog.com. coming at you with part two of our Olympic Games preview. If you didn't catch part one, don't worry, you don't actually have to listen to um, these podcasts sequentially. They, you can listen to part two first if you like. Um, But we did put out a podcast earlier this week where myself and Alex Ibaceta talked to Anne-Marie Posmer, who is a correspondent for the Netherlands women's team, and we spoke with her a little bit about Vivian Miedemer, Danielle van der Donk, Jules Roard, and overall Netherlands chances of winning the gold in the Tokyo Olympics. And then Alex and I also spoke with Samantha Lewis, who is a correspondent for the Matildas, the Australian women's team. Um, And again, we spoke a bit about Lydia Williams, Steph Catley, Caitlin Ford, and just overall the kind of year to 18 months the Matildas have had during COVID and again, their chances in Tokyo. So if you're interested in checking that out, we put that out on Tuesday this week. But this is part two, where we will look at the other two teams who have Arsenal interest at the Tokyo Olympics. So in the first half, myself and Pippa speak to Rich Laverty, who writes for Our Game magazine um, and These Football Times about women's football. He's also the media officer for Sheffield United Women. And we talk to him about Team GB their chances at the Olymp- the Olympics, Hagarisa and her kind of temporary interim reign at the moment. And obviously we talk about Leah Williamson, we talk about Lotta and moy we talk about Nikita Paris, and we talk about um, the fairly surprise exclusion of Jordan Nobbs and Beth Mead from that squad. And then in part two, I will be talking to Sean Carroll now Sean Carroll is a British journalist who is based in Tokyo um, and he covers the J League uh, and the WE League the Women's Empowerment League um, in Japan and we have a a broader conversation maybe about what it's like on the ground in Tokyo at the moment Um, a lot of apprehension there it's going to be a very different Olympic Games this time around because of COVID Uh, some of his challenges trying to cover it as a journalist but then we also talk about Japan's chances now of course Japan Japan um, were world Cup winners um, in two thousand and eleven and silver medalists in two thousand and sixteen so they have a really really good pedigree and we talk about uh, their chances of of winning the Olympics on home soil, perhaps some of the challenges that the players will experience um you know in their uh, competing in their covid bubbles etc and then of course we talk about mana iwabuchi the new arsenal signing who really is carrying the hopes um, of japan on her shoulders a little bit and she's been assigned that very famous number 10 shirt which is a huge deal in japan so without further ado uh here's me and pippa talking to rich laverty about team gb Okay, and joining us now, as promised, to talk all things Team GB with a slightly Arsenal lens uh, from These Footy Times and Our Game magazine, as well as Sheffield United Women's Media Officer, we're delighted to be joined by Rich Laverty. Rich, thanks for coming on. Not a problem, mate. Thanks for having me on. And uh, your second appearance on the podcast now. So um, you're up on the leaderboard. I think that puts you level with the likes of Faye White and Louise Quinn and Anne-Marie Posmer, who was on part one of this. So, um, yeah, great to have you back.
2: Oh, yeah, that's that's all right company, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, I figure so, I figure so. Um Obviously, we'll ask you some questions about um Team GB um and the Arsenal aspect thereof, uh, and I'll hand over to Pippa to crack on with the first couple of questions. How
3: you doing, Rich?
2: Good? Yeah, I'm, I'm good, Pippa. How are you?
3: I'm all good, thanks. I'm really looking forward to the tournament. I feel like it's been an exciting summer of football and uh, getting back into the swing of things with fans back. But talking about Arsenal women and Team GB... I know we say it all the time Arsenal used to really dominate football and at the moment we've I think it's only three players that have made the squad I think it was two before but now we've got Nikita Paris so we've got Kim Little, Leah Williamson whereas Man City I think I've got like 11 players but um, before we get into that what's your, your your hopes or what do you think Team GB can do in this Olympics tournament?
2: Uh, I think it's very very tough a they've been given a Pretty tough group, um, which was always going to happen. I think everyone's got a really tough group just because there are such... It's a very compact tournament with only 12 teams. Um, I mean, their build-up through no fault of their own really has just been about probably as bad as you could have ever hoped. I mean, even back end of last year with England, you know, friendlies being cancelled. You know, they had a positive COVID test, which which got their Germany game. Cancelled. Norway couldn't travel for a game that was meant to be at Bramall Lane. I think they ended up playing obviously Northern Ireland. They had a couple, but you know Heger-Reese has come in, and obviously their pre-match, you know, their pre-tournament friendly, sorry, against Zambia, that had to be cancelled. I think I read this morning they're playing New Zealand tomorrow in a behind closed doors friendly, so it is some kind of preparation. But to only have one game together, I mean, look, a lot of the team obviously do know each other. There's not that many um non-English players and yeah. you know so Sophie Ingle will know a lot of those players so will Kim Little um so will Caroline Weir mm-hmm. obviously particularly Caroline Weir being at Manchester City like you said the amount of city players in there particularly in the midfield
3: yeah
2: but yeah the preparation's been very very tough um you know it's going to be hot out there as well which we always sort of joke about it doesn't always suit the English teams so mm-hmm. but I think even form you know the games they have played they've struggled you know they haven't looked like A team that's fulfilling their potential it's been very tough for Hager obviously to come in you know and and not be able to really play too many games um so I think we sort of have to be a little bit realistic for me it's it's great to have a team GB I'm glad we do have one yeah
3: um
2: but I sort of almost feel like it's good experience for next year you know I think if you offered fans and players the opportunity to win one, you'd you probably. I mean, a lot of people would love to have a gold medal, but I think when it's a home European Championships, you know, yeah. play a final at Wembley. Like we saw the other night, how special that is, you know, the atmosphere at Wembley for a final. Um, you know, there's some very good young players in the squad um, that are now actually in the squad, not just reserves as well. So it's good experience for them. So I think it's going to be very tough. Um, I think any tournament where you've got the US playing like they are at the minute is always tough but there's some good teams in there and yeah I think Team GB can compete 100% but I just think that the interrupted you know warm up they had makes it very very difficult
3: Yeah I think it will be difficult because you mentioned obviously the interruptions the cancellation of games and then there's even some players in the in the Arsenal squad that's missed out, such as Jordan Nobbs and uh, Beth Mead. And then you talk about the European Championships next year being at home. When we look back to the Women's World Cup, I feel like the even though we had a really good England squad, I feel like they went particularly far because there was a lot of people watching, more than I think they expected. And there was a lot of people behind the team, behind the competition. Um, but I feel like this Olympics is kind of being overshadowed by you know, the Euros that just happened and then pre-season for the men's game starting pretty much this week, today. And I, I just feel like it's not being spoken about enough. And do you feel like that will affect the players as well, not having that huge home support they had in the Women's World Cup?
2: Um, yeah, potentially. I think it can always work both ways. I think, I, think there's, I think you're right. I don't think there has been the amount of build-up there usually would be. I think there's a number of factors. Like you said, yes, the Euros. I think B... The fact the media haven't really had the access, and that's not me being like snobby or you know, saying we we deserve this and we deserve that. It's just been circumstance of obviously these days not being able to have you know face to face press conferences and media days like we would have had in the build up. There's obviously not a lot of media either going out to Tokyo because the limitations over there are incredibly strict at the moment. So I, I, there hasn't probably been the same amount of you know seeing the interviews and you know the the features and things like that. A, like you said, because people have been focused on the Euros, but B, just because the media haven't really had the kind of access we usually would in pre-COVID times. Um, I hope when the tournament starts, it changes, because I think, obviously, there is no men's team, GB teams. So, you know, football fans that want to sit down and watch football, and then they're at decent times. You know, they're sort of early to mid-morning, so people can yeah. watch them. They're not going to be middle of the night. Um, you probably prefer them, obviously, to be late in the evening, but... <laughs> that's just that's just the situation obviously of it being in tokyo but you can still i think the first game's at eight thirty a.m um uk time so hopefully people can still watch and you know for fans that want to watch some football you know they've got no choice but to watch the women um mm-hmm. because they can't watch the men they don't have a team so i think once the tournament i think everyone needs a little bit of a detox after the last few days don't they i think everyone's just sort of um, winding down and getting over obviously the disappointment of the final, and hopefully, I think the first game's just over a week away. So, yeah, I, I think there'll be a lot of support from home, definitely. And I hope there are a lot of people that maybe haven't watched women's football regularly that tune in um, yeah. because they just want to watch. And I think that's what you do in the Olympics. You know, everybody, you know, I, I'll, I'll probably sit down and watch the archery or the equestrian. It's not something I would ever dream of watching for four years, but then the Olympics are on, and you sort of feel a little bit compelled to watch, you know, whatever you turn on the TV and and it's on. So, um, I think the support will be good, hope it might it might help, you know. You know, but sometimes the lack of pressure or the lack of, you know, people in the stadium sometimes might relax players a little bit more. So, I think it can work both ways. Um, it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I just hope it's a good tournament. You know, I think women's football we need it, you know. We lost the opportunity last year with the Olympics. We've got three major tournaments now in 3 years. So, Um, I hope it's just a really good product, whatever happens, um, because we're still obviously promoting the women's game. We're still trying to get more people interested. So no, I I think it can work both ways. I I get what you're saying. Um, It's it's definitely not had the build up. I think it usually would. Like I said, I think that's just down to a variety of factors around the men's and, and obviously COVID restrictions as well.
1: And um, again, like from uh, kind of from an Arsenal, well, I'd say from an Arsenal perspective, I think this was um, quite widely debated anyway, um, just among England slash Team GB fans. But obviously Jordan Nobbs and Beth Mead didn't make the squad, didn't make the reserve list, although I think the reserve list was quite intentionally just young players. So I don't think there was ever any question of them being on the reserve list. But were you surprised by either or both of those decisions and can you see justification for them from from Higarisa
2: yes and no uh, yeah I can see the just. I think it, it always makes me laugh every time there's a squad announcement whether it's England or Team GB you get the same questions the same people arguing and People think there's big conspiracies and, you know, oh, they must pick loads of Man City players and things like that. You know, Egerisa has won an Olympic gold medal. She's won a World Cup. She's won a Euros. You know, she knows where it takes um, in terms of squad dynamics. And uh, the, tough, the toughest thing about the Olympics, of course, is the squad size. Um, mm-hmm. And someone actually said to me the other day, you know, if they'd known the four reserve players would have actually been able to make the squad, would the four have been different? You know, would you have had yep. maybe Beth, me, Jordan, Nobs? You know, if you if you weren't just taking them along, thinking they're just going for the experience, they can't play in the games. You know, would you have taken maybe more experienced players? And I think that's probably a valid question. I think I think the two are very different. I think with Jordan, it's interesting. I was actually looking at a minutes from last season in the league, and I think she was like outside the top ten. I think in Arsenal yep. squad, I think she was even below players like Wubba Moy who's obviously a lot of injuries yeah yeah it was just a very I mean there's no doubt you know Jordan's a top class player it's just she had a really interrupted season I think she only started I think 12 league games out of the 22 so I think with Beth you know she was much more involved I think Beth Beth's biggest problem at the moment internationally is the emergence of Lauren Hemp obviously on that left-hand side and In an Olympics where you're so short on who you can take, you're probably looking at one specialist player in every position. I thought Beth Mead had a a fairly decent season. You know, she played, I think, every game bar one. Stats were decent, you know, a lot of assists again, which is obviously what she's become very well known for now in the last few years. But it's very hard to argue that, you know, Lauren Hemp shouldn't have that left wing spot at the minute, the way she's playing, her potential. You know, I think she's going to go on and, and genuinely, I think she'll be one of the best in the world. Um yep. so I, I think if you were picking a squad for a, a major tournament, a Euros or a World Cup, and you had a few more to play with, and obviously not the Scottish and, and Welsh and Northern Irish players, I think Beth would have still been in the squad. I think her performances were good enough to, to still be a squad player. Um I just think the way the Olympic squad is made up, I think Lauren Hemp was always going to be the one um to get that left wing role. And I think with Jordan it was just down to you know probably again just had a bit of a disrupted season you know Kira Walsh was always going to go mm-hmm. i think Casway was always going to go Kim it's very hard you know the leadership the experience that she's got um that she wasn't going to go so I, I i i would have probably taken her over Jill Scott but yeah. i i can understand why Jill's going again people sometimes scoff at it but that experience factor that she has um of being at a major tournament before being at an olympics before as well so if they both I can see the reasons I think they're both very different I think Jordan is just down to potentially lack of consistent game time across the season I think Beth Mead is solely down to the fact that you know she's got Lauren Hemp ahead of her now yeah and
1: and obviously Jordan didn't play in central midfield for Arsenal pretty much at all. she she played largely on the left hand side, and i th- I think that's probably cost her because as you as you point out, England have got plenty of depth in those wide forward positions. and um speaking of which, I, I mean, I guess another player who kept Beth out really here is Nikita Paris, who mm-hmm. um signed for Arsenal this summer. What do you make of that as a signing for Arsenal?
2: I think it'd be a very good signing. I think internationally, I was a little bit surprised actually that she was so. I I think Keats potentially got in because Chloe Kelly got injured. I think that would have been maybe a similar situation to Beth, where you know Chloe probably had that right wing role pretty much sewn up before, obviously she did her ACL. Um, Because Keats has been largely playing as a striker now for the last few years. Her her last year at, at Manchester City, she was a striker she has played on the wing at times for Leon, but she's been used as a striker since Arda Hegerberg got injured Um, I think it's got a lot of potential Keats is she's inconsistent but she does score a lot of goals Um, you know she's very fast and I think almost look at it a little bit I hate comparing to the men's but I look at sort of Kane and Son over at Tottenham the way Kane drops deep gets a lot of assists I think you'll see that with Miedema and I think if she has someone like Keats with her movement running off it I think that has potential to be a very fruitful partnership I hope they find a way of getting them in there really together and not Keats just playing as a winger out on the right she can do that there's no doubt about it and she'll get assists and she'll get goals but I think almost as a a narrow front two playing together the, the trickery the movement you know the vision Miedema has aside from just being a goal scorer you know I think she will find Keats a lot and I think She will score goals. You know, she's one of the top scorers in the WSL history and she's not been here for the last two years. So, you know, her record speaks for itself. Um, Is she going to go and bang 20 goals in like Viv will and, you know, win them the league on their own? Probably not. But I'd be surprised if she wasn't, you know, pushing double figures and and getting assists because I think she's still got a lot to give. Um, When she has a consistent season, like she did her final year at Manchester City, I think she's a very, very good player um and i think it's it's actually a smart signing um i think saw some clubs being linked to the some fans were saying oh we don't want her or we don't want you know this player that player so and i can understand it you know she's limited in terms of her overall talent she's never going to be a Miedemar or a hegerberg but no i think it's a good signing i think it's a really good signing from arsenal um you know the proof will be in the performances but I, I like Keats. I think she's a very, very good player.
1: I, I you know, looking at the makeup of the squad, um, like you say, it's largely England. But there are three players who aren't English in the squad. Sophie Ingle, Caroline Weir and Kim Little. Um, and obviously we're going to focus on Kim a little bit. Um, I, I think it's it was never in question that Kim Little would be in this squad. Um Personally, I don't think it's a coincidence that the three players who aren't from the Lionesses who've been selected at all to some extent central midfield players, because I do think that that's an area where the, the Lionesses have a bit of a weakness if you're talking about the absolute top level, which is why I still can't work out why England undervalue Jordan Nobbs. But that's another conversation. Do you think that Kim will start... Um, and 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 I guess what do you think this team GB midfield will look like? Do do you think it could be
2: Ingle, Little, and Caroline Weir? I think there's every chance. I, I do think Kira Walsh will start. Um, I think it's it's interesting as well that Sophie Ingle. I mean, I I don't try and read too much into shirt numbers, but like you know, Millie Bright, I would have thought would have been the six, or Leah Williamson would have been the six, where Sophie Ingle's been given that shirt number. And I kind of always associate that with sort of being a centre-back. Um, so I don't know whether they maybe see Sophie Ingle as that, whether it's alongside Steph or in a back three. or I don't know. Again, as I said earlier, there is literally no precedent because we haven't seen Team GB play. Um, so we've got no idea where Sophie Ingle slots in or, or Kim Little or Kaz I certainly wouldn't be surprised to see the other two start. I, I think if I was picking a midfield three now off the squad, it would probably be Kira sitting with Kim and, and Caroline um, just in front of them. You know, Kim is is not at the level she was seven, eight years ago, but, you know, that's understandable. She was world-class seven, eight years ago. You can never, with the injuries she's had as well, I think she's 31 now, but she's still a very, very good player. Kaz Weir had an unbelievable season. Um, there's no doubt for me that she should be starting. Um Yeah, I think it'll be Walsh. I mean, it's good to have those two options as your defensive midfielders because they're both top top class. Um, You're right with what you say about midfielders. Um, I'm not surprised. I think when we looked at the makeup, and you looked at also even Haley, Ladd, Jess Fishlock, Erin Cuthbert, players like that. You know, no surprise that you know there were midfielders coming from other countries. You know, I, I look at England's midfield and I think, well, where's the next one? coming from you know Jill Scott's 34 now you know Kira's there probably for the next decade but beyond that you know Jordan's never really nailed down a role because like Tim said I don't think England have ever really known what to do with her and beyond that you know you do look at it and go okay you know Lucy Staniforth sort of come and gone. Laura Coombs Izzy Christensen and I do worry I remember going to the under 20 World Cup three years ago and even then I remember thinking like you know we had Lauren Hemp in the team and stanway was playing up front with russo and chloe kelly and i looked at the midfield and i think it was sort of molly rouse zoe cross chloe Peplo and you know Peplo has been around a few clubs now rouse is playing in the the championship so you know the there is sort of a dearth of midfielders you know in terms of where are they coming from um for england next so you're right that there's no surprise for me that the the foreign the, the foreign players the uh, the scottish and welsh <laughs> players have come from uh I've come from non-English countries because yeah, I think England is severely lacking depth in there at the moment. Um, And obviously post Olympics, when we go off and and start concentrating on the euros next year in the world cup, I'll be really interested to see what England's midfield looks like over the next two, three, you know, five years, because at the moment, I'm not sure where they're coming from. Um, So they could all start, you know, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, But I, For me, at the moment, I'd look at it and probably go Kira and then Kim and Kaz playing just in front of them. I think the front three probably picks itself at the moment. Um, I think you'll probably see Ellen White. Well, It's tough because, I mean, you've got Fran Kirby. Obviously, she could play maybe the 10 role. You know, she might play instead of Kim. Um, You know, they could just go with her up front in place of Ellen White. I don't know. They've got some options. I think certainly Hemp will play from the left and probably Paris from the right it would be interesting to see whether she thinks right let's get the you know because Ellen White tends to perform in big tournaments you know she tends to score goals and whether they go with Kirby behind her then obviously you're probably gonna have to sacrifice one of Kim or Kaz I think it'd be a real shame to sacrifice Kaz because I think she has had a great season but like Tim said you sort of always feel Kim Little will start if she's there and she's fit so I mean it's good to have those options um but I hope we don't sort of keep seeing frank kirby as kind of this midfielder just because we don't have anyone else um i think the way she worked for chelsea was brilliant but obviously we don't have sam kerr and penile harder so um <laughs> which is a shame um but yeah they've got those options in there but uh, yeah there's no surprise to me that the midfield is where the non-english players have come from um because yeah just, there just there does seem to be a, a real lack of depth
3: speaking about you know options for positions and slotting players in and focusing on Arsenal players here. This, this player has also had a great season, has been spoke about as a possible future captain in years to come. But in previous tournaments, such as the women's world cup a couple of years ago, obviously Leah Williamson didn't really get a chance to, to play really because of the experience in the back line. And Millie Bright will also be attending this tournament. So do you think this time around in the Olympics with team GB Leah Williamson could have some time to shine. Is there any potential possibility that she could start in some of these games?
2: I really hope so. Um, I think she she needs that exposure soon with tournaments coming thick and fast because there is no doubt Leah is going to, whether it's now or at some point in the near future, she's going to be a starter. You know, Steph is 33 now. You know, Mm -hmm. she's not, she might be around next year. She might be around the year after, but probably the cycle after that she won't be. Um, It's tough, you know, it's very, very tough because Steph and Millie has sort of been the go-to partnership over the years. Um, You know, Millie had a very good season with Chelsea, um, apart from probably that Manchester City game when they basically won the league, thought she was very, very shaky in that. I thought Steph actually... Steph got a lot of criticism probably around the time of the World Cup. Maybe her performances a dipped and you know, I think there was certainly an element of truth in that. I actually thought last season she was very good for Manchester City. I think maybe having a lack of international football and maybe the lack of travel and lack of distractions elsewhere maybe helped her. Um, I did think she was very, very good for City. She's obviously the captain, so if she's fit and ready, you're always gonna expect Steph Horton to start and there's always gonna be that one position alongside her for me as a preference i would always just lean towards leah i I think it's it's strange because center backs are center backs but leah and millie are very different you know i think leah is obviously the more playing out from the back you know the passer they get on the ball whereas millie bright you know she'll get on the end of things she'll clear crosses you know she's she's you know the tough one the one that will just get stuck in and get ahead on things and clear the crosses and you know i mean leah will do that but i'm sure people will understand what i mean when i say they're very different players um you know steph very similar to leah in terms of more playing out from the back more getting on the ball um it's a shame you can't play all three of them i mean they could obviously if they go with a back three but i think you're always more likely to maybe in a back three see a sophie ingle go back into the center of it to play out um but look leah's 24 now and she's ready you know she's not a kid anymore Mm. um you know i think we got to that point with the men a few years ago people were still calling jesse lingard a youngster and sure. i think 20 27 28 now so you know by the time the world cup's gone by in two years time leah will be 26 you know so she is not a youngster anymore and, and there's a few in there now that you can't really class as youngsters you know kira walsh is is 24 and you know George stanway's 22 so you know they're getting to the point now where yeah, they're ready, you know, they're old enough, they're mature enough, they've had enough big games, they've played cup finals and big league games and won titles. So, you know, the proof will be in training. I'm sure Hager will pick, you know, who performs the best, hopefully, and if that's Millie, it's Millie. If it's Leah, it's Leah. And I think it's good again, like I said, with the strikers, that we've got those options. You know, if if something happened to Millie, you've got all the confidence in the world in Leah to step in. If something happens to Leah, vice versa with Millie and Lotta in there as well. You know, I think she's a a really talented player. Um, And I think, you know, in years to come, you might see her and Leah as the England centre-back partnership. So, but no, you know, I think she's still, what, got 20 caps or something now at 24. So, um, It would be interesting to see if she starts. You know, I certainly wouldn't be against it. I think she's a a top, top player. People who have known me for years and have have watched Leah for years know that I always still think she should have been a midfielder um, Mm -hmm. and that she would have been better in there. But, um, you know, she's turned into a very good centre-back. And if she starts for Team GB, I don't think we'll be any worse off for it at all.
1: Yeah, I am. Sorry, Pippa, I'll I'll, I'll come back to you in a sec for for another question. But I I just wanted to come in on that. I I often wondered if England would use her as a midfielder, because I think England's need is perhaps greater in there than Arsenal's Well, was until recently, maybe. I I think the issue for Leah is that at Arsenal, she plays on the right um, of the centre-back partnership, and that's where she's most comfortable passing out. And that's where Millie is as well, and so the relationship in terms of types between Leah and Millie is is quite good for the reasons you say. But they both like the right, and Leah I don't think looks as comfortable playing for England on the left, mm. and I don't think you can have Leah and Steph together either because they're too similar. So I think for Leah to flourish at international level, I I think either moving her into midfield or finding a way that she can be on the right of the partnership and someone else coming in on the left. Well, I, I, but personally, I think that's that's been the issue for her. Uh, sorry for that interjection. I'll hand back to you, Pippa.
3: No, it's fine, because um, I was wondering what I was going to say next, because obviously I've seen Leah Williamson play in midfield positions previously under Joe Montemiro, and she's looked more than comfortable there. But like you said, there's so many midfield options in this Team GB team. And I'm just I'm just wondering for her personally, when she's going to have her moment, because like Rich said, like she's not young anymore, and that's always been the argument. Or she at the World Cup is, like, oh, she's too young, she's not experienced, but she is experienced. She's won the league, she's played in many a games for seasons, and um, I think it's really her time to to step up now.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely, and um, and yeah, it will be really interesting to see this summer. But Rich, I wondered, like, um, if in closing. Um, we, have, we haven't we have really talked much about the manager, uh, Hager um so far, the interim manager. I mean, personally, the way I look at it, I think the Lionesses, anyway, have essentially had an interim manager since the World Cup finish because I think Phil Neville was kind of looking for a way out and then he had a way out and we had this kind of bizarre and still slightly in that kind of, I guess, that limbo before Serena comes in after the Olympics. What have you made of um, Hager um so far and... Um, yeah I get I guess the situation where she's coming in as an interim how how in the in the games at least the lionesses have played under her what have
2: you made so far of her short reign uh, it's it's been massively hard to judge mate. I mean I think when a new manager comes in you know there's always going to be a little bit of a, a dip I mean it wasn't you know it wasn't easy to dip further than they were before because they've you know just won so few games but You know to come in and suddenly have to prepare a team you know that you're only going to be with for a few months for a tournament where you have a squad where some of them haven't played together before and, and not really be able to have you know as much preparation as you would want you know is tough and you know the two friendlies obviously against France and Canada didn't go the way they wanted but I mean I never I say this all the time I never read a huge amount into friendlies because Teams always have players missing. You know, France had players missing. England had players missing. You know, they rotate. You know, I think in the Canada game, you know, the goalkeeper, Karen Bazzi, wouldn't have been the usual number one they would play. You know, when they play Canada in Tokyo, Um, they had a few other players in there that probably wouldn't be starting when you get to Tokyo. And like you said, for those games, they didn't have Kim Little, they didn't have Kazweer, they didn't have Sophie Ingle. So I think it was just about Hager being able to get some games in to be honest. Um I mean the results weren't perfect. They were definitely flaws in the performances. And that's been an issue since the World Cup, quite frankly, um since the semi-final loss. It started in the third place playoff against Sweden and it's it's continued for the last two years now. Um, there is no doubt Team GB is a squad full of very talented players who on their day can take on anybody you know they can take on the US they might not beat them but they can compete with them you know when when England have played the US the last two three meetings they've never been battered you know there's always been you know one one two goals in it and that was the same at the world cup so they're capable you know they are absolutely capable but the scenario and the situation they are in is not ideal um the thing i like about after the 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 olympics for serena coming in is you've actually just got a good run of games eventually against teams that you're going to beat as well. You know, Mm. they've got the qualifiers for the World Cup. They're going to play North Macedonia and Luxembourg and Latvia and Northern Ireland and teams like that, you know, who they will win. And, you know, they'll be able to probably get some competitive friendlies in there as well to, to prepare for the, the Euros. You know, you're not going it, to... It's a strange scenario, and obviously going through World Cup qualifiers when you've got European championships to prepare for as well. And obviously you don't really want to prepare for a major tournament playing teams like Luxembourg and North Macedonia. So I'm sure they'll try and sneak some friendlies in there. So hopefully the games will come thick and fast for this team. And I think there will be a handover period. I think the time now is where players like Elatoon and and Lotter and neve charles etc they they have to now become part of the squad Alessio russo lauren james ebony salmon etc the time after the olympics is now because we've got two major tournaments coming up and there is no doubt those players are going to be the future you know and if you can get them in if you can ingrain them in in games like north macedonia and luxembourg where there's very little pressure and you're going to win those games you know largely just by turning up they can, they're ingrained within the squad then, they know what it's about, and then when they need to face some more competitive teams in the friendlies, they're ready for it. And then after that, they're ready for a tournament, you know, and you build them up to it. So, yeah, for Hager, it's been very, very difficult. You know, I don't envy the situation that she's come into picking a team up that was basically on the floor anyway with the results they've had. She's had such little time, you know, three friendly matches um, and one behind closed doors game tomorrow, by the sound of it, to prepare for a tournament. So, But, you know, she's clearly a good coach. You know, her record speaks for itself. And like I said, as a player, she's one of very, very few women on the planet that have won every major tournament you could. So she knows what it takes. She knows what's there. Um, she knows how to do it. So, we just got to get on with it you know the situation we're in is what we're in it's been influenced by a lot of things covid and and some non-covid things obviously the manager changing like you said um but i do see genuinely post olympics a very bright future with the players coming through and the opportunities we have now in the next few years tournament wise especially being at home next year but serena just has to be bold you know i've defended the decisions of not rushing young players into the squad and and some Mm. people don't like that some people agree, some people disagree I completely see it both ways, I never think a young player should be overly exposed to international football before they're ready, it's such a different ball game, it's such a different environment and I think it's more intense than club football, I really do but there there has to be a time when you do it and I think with two tournaments coming up and a lot of qualifiers I think they've got six qualifiers between September and the end of November You know, so and probably six games that England should win. If we're not seeing, you know, the Ellertons, the Ebony Salmon's, the the Woburn Moyes, the Lauren Jameses, etc., at least being in the squad and if not starting games by then, then I think we've got, you know, I think we've made a mistake somewhere down the line. So um, and and I think that's probably the right time for a, a fresh manager to come in who can just come in, pick who she wants. You know, don't have to think about who was there before or who might be on the way out. Um, So I think it's a really good time. I think Olympics is just one of those you sort of you grin and bear it and hope for the best because the prep hasn't been ideal. Mm -hmm. But I think for the next few years, I think there's a lot to be excited about. Yeah, and that's actually
1: been a theme, um, you know, talking I've talked about um, Netherlands so far and Australia in particular. And, and the theme coming out is that preparation, not ideal for most of these teams, but they see the Olympics as get through it. And then after that, we're in a kind of new cycle. Um, before we let you go, Rich, quick prediction. Who do you think is going to win this tournament? Who do you think will pick up the gold medal?
2: I think it'd be the US. I really do. I know it's a boring answer, but... Yep. They are the best team in the world, and preparation-wise, they don't really seem to have been affected. Like they seem to be playing friendlies as regularly as ever. Um, Tobin Heath obviously just come back fresh and fit. Sounds like they might get Julie Ertz back. You know they've got that experience. They know how to, to win. You know they've got some players now peaking. You know Kristen Press is probably in her best international form. Sam Mewis, you know, has has fast become one of the best in the world now in her position. They're still solid at the back. You know, they've just got players that know how to... Even Alex Morgan, you know, st- she started scoring at club level as well. You know, Alex Morgan's yeah. one of those, you always say, scores internationally, you know, record at club level has ne- not been the la- there the last few years. But, you know, she had a good start to the year with Orlando. So all their top players, you know, seem to be in good form. They've had loads of friendly games um, that they've been able to prepare with. And I think even be- even without COVID, even before that, you make the US um, the favourites. I think if you asked me for maybe more of a dark horse I mean look, Japan will always have a chance with being the hosts you know they're, they're a technically very good football team but I do fancy Sweden to go far I really like the Swedish team I think they've got some really experienced top players but I really like some of the players coming through some of which we're obviously going to see in the WSL now with Onvergard with and, and Bjorn going to Everton um, so I think they're always solid they're always hard to beat and they've got some really good players up the top end of the pitch don't think they'll win it um i think it will be the us but if i was going to be slightly less boring and go for maybe someone i think might surprise a few people or maybe even reach the final um i'll throw sweden's name out there i think it's a real shame spain out there because i think spain spain and a team for me might could win the euros next mm-hmm. year i think they're unbelievable team um and it's a real shame they're not there but i think they're definitely going to be a team the next few years will, will really become tournament contenders yeah, we talked about them a
1: little bit in the Netherlands uh, segment, actually, and um, completely agree. <clears throat> Pippa, before we go, mm-hmm. do do you think anyone other than the US can take the gold medal?
3: Joe, it's a it's a hard one to pick because you just don't know what to expect. But I would say if I'm, I would Sweden definitely a good shout, and they got far in the World Cup as well. Um, but because of the players that are close to my heart, I would love to say Netherlands as well for the sake of Viv and Jill and so many other players. So yeah hopefully but we'll see how it goes yeah
1: yeah indeed i I think um i think us clear favorites but then there's a real like gabble of teams who are probably joint second favorites and you'd probably put team g in that bracket in that bracket as well but um that's all we've got time for for this segment rich thanks so much for your time and your insights Mm -hmm. not a problem mate thanks for having me on again like i said Many thanks to Rich for his insights and you can follow him on Twitter at Rich J. Um, I will say we recorded that before we discovered that Team GB had played a behind closed doors friendly against New Zealand, which they won 3-0 with goals from a double from Ellen White and a goal from Arsenal's new signing Nikita Paris. It's also been announced since that there will be three captains for Team GB. I think this is quite neat the way they've done this, actually. So one of the captains will be uh, Welsh international Sophie Ingle of Chelsea, Um, Then uh, the second captain, as it were, will be Steph Horton, Manchester City and the captain of England. And the third captain will be Arsenal's own Kim Little of Scotland. And they will captain a game each in the group stages. But we're told that Kim captained Team GB for their friendly against New Zealand. So a good leadership group there. And obviously, as Arsenal fans, we know both the quality of Kim Little as a player and as a leader. So probably not a huge surprise that she's been bestowed with that joint honour. But anyway, without further ado, now it's going to be just me talking to Sean Carroll about Japan, Tokyo, the Olympics and, of course, Maneo Abuchi.
0: Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Get a $1 per month trial period at Shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Cool fact: a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare Short-Term Insurance Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. <laughs>
1: Okay, joining me now on the Arsenal Women Ask to talk about Japan at the Olympic Games in 2021, actually, Um, the host team is Sean Carroll, a freelance journalist who is based in Tokyo. Sean, thanks for joining the show. No worries at all. Thanks a lot for having me on. Um, Before we kind of talk about Japan and maybe a bit about Mana Iwabuchi, um, I just wanted to ask a fairly general question, Sean, about the feeling on the ground locally in Tokyo about the Olympics. Um, about it going ahead at all, I guess, and the way in which it will it will kind of go ahead. Because obviously, this is a really strange time to host, and it's going to be a really strange Olympic Games. What what kind of feel is is there any anticipation, excitement, or is it kind of mainly anxiety at the moment?
4: Um, no, there's not really much um, much excitement. I'd have to say it's a bit odd because we've been in and out of what they call states of emergency for pretty much the last year uh maybe year and a half now um so we never we never actually locked down like they did back in england or or elsewhere around the world um but what they did is had these things called states of emergency where they kind of asked people to to refrain from sort of going out and about unless they had to um at one point restaurants and things were sort of asked to be closed now they're the current state of emergency, they're allowed to be open, but places aren't allowed to sell alcohol. So um, with regards to the Olympics initially being sort of postponed for a year and then going ahead, I think there's a kind of on the ground here. I mean, it's Japanese people are not sort of inclined in the way that people maybe back back home would be to, to pour out on the streets and be particularly vocal in their in their opposition but i think there is from the people i've spoken to sort of who work within and and outside of sport there's a kind of feeling of like what if if we can't get on with things as normal and if we're having to kind of follow certain rules and restrictions the the fact that the games are going to be going ahead i think there's a little bit of maybe not quite animosity but a feeling of like it doesn't doesn't really sit right i think
1: yeah, yeah, and, that, and that's interesting because obviously over here in London we've just had like some some massive football games with lots of people mm. at them. And <clears throat> excuse me, and I, I think there's there's a real sense that that's kind of brought the curtain down on you know COVID and lockdown, and yet cases are going up and things like that. So mm. um, yeah, it's it's a really kind of interesting time um, to say the least to, to host an Olympic Games. In terms of you covering it um you know we know that like most of the events are going to be behind closed doors by the sounds of it and very limited number of kind of foreign journalists allowed in what's it what kind of hoops are you having to jump through just to cover it
4: oh it's yeah it's been um it's been quite crazy i wasn't really sure what the situation would be with my pass obviously because of it being suspended initially for a year and then then coming back on so then i i did pick up my I passed a couple of weeks ago and I sort of asked them then, right, is, is that everything I need to do? And they just said, yeah. And then kind of just from word of mouth, speaking to, to other journalist friends and whatever, they were saying, oh, don't forget, you know, you need to do testing. You need to get on this system. You need to. And there's been very little by way of actual assistance from the, the organizational side. Um, and obviously during during Covid, there, there's so many issues and so much stuff is changing by the day. Um, you know, I, I'm hesitant to sort of complain too much or, or point any fingers as to as to where the blame is. But it, it does seem that a lot I mean, I'm lucky in a sense to to be a resident in Japan and to, you know, to already be on the ground. But there are there are people coming in from abroad who are being told they need to submit this thing. They need to be on this system. They need to make sure all this stuff's registered and they're sort of pretty much everyone is in charge of themselves um mm. so yeah I, I need to be registered on something i need to have a couple of apps on my phone and be every day i need to be logging my temperature confirming i don't have any symptoms i need to be providing um there's like these kind of home covid tests that are just the son of the saliva ones and i yeah. need to be um, submitting them at least every four days uh during the competition um but again i've not this is only info i've kind of Been able to to find out myself or heard from other people, so there's still a kind of a slight anxiety on my part that I might not be doing something quite right, Mm. and and when I turn up at the stadium, they might say, "Where's this form? Or or where's this app? You need to do this. You can't come in." So it's yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of anxiety, and again, I don't I don't want to complain too much because as you said, there's there's people who who bought tickets or or have got tickets through the lottery and then bought them, and now. They can't go. So I'm, I'm still in a very privileged position to, to be able to go and watch the games live. But yeah, I'm sort of alongside all of the the stresses and, and the preparation that you usually have when it comes to to covering a tournament. There's all this other stuff um, going on in the background um, and, it, and it hasn't been explained especially clearly. So I think, yeah, there is a there is a sense as as with um the sort of the preparations as a whole and, and the general mood here, there's there's definitely more of a sense of, of anxiety than excitement at the moment.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I can imagine um, if you're coming from another country and perhaps uh, your your grasp on Japanese is not fantastic, that well, that's probably um, even more anxious when you're travelling. But um, I kind of moving away from that and going towards, uh, you know, the Japanese women's team um, who will mm. obviously take part in this tournament as the hosts um, and as a really strong team in general, you know, former world champions just ten years ago, um, they they played a kind of warm up game against. Well, they played a few warm up games recently, um, a couple mm. that weren't super competitive against the likes of Ukraine. Yes. But they played Australia yesterday, as we record um, a game they won one nil thanks to a at Iwabuchi penalty. What what kind of did you make of them in that game, and what kind of shape are they going into this tournament in?
4: Um, as always with these these kind of friendlies, it's tricky to to take too much away from it. And um, once you got to the second half, both teams were were making their full allocations of of substitutes. The the key players were being brought off. You could see that that both managers were, I guess, trying things out. Um, the Japan coach put in a, a couple of the younger players. who have only recently come into the squad. Um, whether that's with a, a sign that she she thinks that they might go straight into the team, or whether it's just to give them a bit of experience and and see how they cope. Um, against another another decent side, um, but yeah, Japan looked good. I mean, they always, you know, the, the way they play is very much based on on moving the ball around, keeping possession, um, sort of good good combinations in that way. And they looked they looked pretty sharp. They looked pretty confident. Um, obviously, the the World Cup win from 2011 is the the thing that always gets mentioned. But this is a this is a very different generation now. Almost all the players from from that team are gone. Um, and, yeah, when um, when the new manager, Asako Takakura, took over in, in 2016, it was almost that she brought in a lot of these younger players and, and has continued to do so. So um, they look good. But, again, with that caveat of um, as the game wore on, it was clear that, that both coaches were, were more wary of, of not picking up injuries and, and not tiring players out rather than, than really going for it.
1: Yeah. And, and you mentioned kind of uh, young players being brought in and that was going to be my next question, actually, because the sense I got at the 2019 World Cup, you know, Japan picked a, a really young squad um, for mm. that tournament. It, it surprised a lot of people in the sense I got from that, that they were almost using the World Cup to prepare for the Olympics, which at the time we thought was 12 months away. Mm. It is. It, well, was that assumption right? Do you think, or is it just that this coach really likes bringing through young players? Because it sounds like they're still doing it.
4: Um, I think it's probably a bit of both. The, the Olympics is is a very very big deal for for Japanese football. Um, you know, coming from England, where in the Williams Hill, obviously the the Team GB team played in two thousand and twelve. We don't really. Have that connection, and I think a lot of the more established football countries, um, maybe from the men's side, because I know the women's tournament hasn't been hasn't been going as long. It it's not seen as the the pinnacle. You know, the World Cup is is the main tournament, um, but in Japan, for for the men's and the women's teams, the Olympics is is very very big. So I think there there probably was an element of that, especially because you know it's in Tokyo, it's the home Olympics. There's well, there was expected to be, you know, that that pressure, that atmosphere of being the home team. Now we're sadly not going to get that um, because of the fact that the games will predominantly be behind closed doors. Um, So I think, yeah, she's, as I said, I think she was, Takakura was working with the young players before as well. So she knows them. And I think there's that element of trusting in the young players. I mean, Mana herself made her debut when she was about 17 or 18 for the national team anyway. Um, Homare Sawa, who's obviously sort of, a legend of the game was similar so i think in, in women's football maybe it's changing a bit more now but traditionally over here the there hasn't been such a barrier with age um and, and younger players if they're good enough are sort of thrown in and um and the current manager seems seems quite willing to to give those players chances um and yeah that's that's continued as i said right up to now with um with a couple of players being thrown in who who haven't had the most experience
1: and what about um just in general um i was going to ask a, a question about women's football in japan and and whether mm. it's growing because obviously you know winning the world cup in 2011 you imagine that would lead to like uh, quite a big growth and in england we're seeing quite a big growth with you know sky sports throwing their kind of weight behind it and big diaspora of uh, foreign players coming into the WSL and it it feels like women's football is kind of on a verge to explode moment over here what Mm. what and and in Japan you know the league the top league is just about to go professional what about women's football in Japan how how big is it at the moment
4: um it's it's tied up as with a lot of sports over here it's tied up with the national team so when they won the world cup when they got to the the final of the 2012 olympics and, and the final of 2015 although the result in, in 2015 obviously was was terrible once they got to the final when they're doing well and they're getting a lot of kind of general interest from you know for tv coverage whatever there's a kind of boom around it but it, it quickly fades. Um, and I think the fact that there wasn't a, a professional league in place to kind of capitalize on things, then it was it was always kind of semi-pro. A lot of the the best players were were concentrated in in two or three clubs, so those clubs had a bit of a following. But yeah, games were not broadcast on TV. There wasn't a huge amount of coverage aside from the kind of the star players. It, it never really developed beyond a kind of superficial interest. Um, and I think the fact that the the Wii League, as it's called, um, which stands for Women Empowerment League, which is slightly condescending, <laughs> perhaps. Um, the fact that that will be starting in September, um, hopefully, will enable them to to build in the way that they kind of weren't able to in 2011. So, so if the team can do well at the Olympics, it will build up that kind of fervour again. And then afterwards, hopefully, if people are allowed into stadiums, fans will be able to go and watch these players playing regularly. Um, DAZN, which is the, the broadcaster over here, they have the rights to the, the J-League and the Premier League and, and several other European leagues and things, have announced that they'll be broadcasting the Wii League as well. So it's going to be there um, for people to access, for people to watch. And and I think that's that's what you need. You need that connection. You need ways for people to build some kind of connection um, initially and then for them to build upon it, to gain some kind of attachment to to the teams and the players. Um, I've spoken to to a few foreign players who've who've played against Japan or who played here, and they were just full of praise for for the the level of play here, the level of coaching. They said compared to one one player from America, I spoke to, just said that the attention to detail, the way they train, was was phenomenal, and it's something she's now a coach, and she said it's something that she has definitely learned from. So I think it's definitely on the up. More and more Japanese players now as well are moving to Europe and moving to the States and, and developing with with the sort of the level that they're playing at, um, which again, as with all sport, then it, it serves to to motivate younger players, girls that, that want to come up. Um, when I interviewed Mana recently, she said that, you know, by, by playing in England, she wants to show girls back in japan that it is possible to to move abroad to to go and play in in these big clubs in in europe and whatever um so i think yeah it's key that there's that professional league there's that structure all the players are going to be paid they're going to be able to to make a career from football rather than at some point having to make that decision as to do i do i take the risk or do i just go with the safe option and and get a career in something else
1: and um, the kind of I guess the stereotypical kind of impression of the Japanese women's team, uh, certainly in Europe, well certainly in England, and I think in Europe, is that um, they're this kind of lovely technical team, um, mm. full of lovely loads, loads of lovely technical players, lots of short passing and moving, um, mm. and I think Manners very much in that mould. Is is that do you think a fair representation of what? Um, Japanese, you know, the, the Japanese team and Japanese women's football is like, or do you think there's there's a bit more to it at the moment?
4: Um, no, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. They can't, I mean, the the game against Australia yesterday, you can see that there's such a, a vast difference in, in the physical size that I don't think they're not going to be able to, to try and play long to get balls into the box. There's no point if you're playing against Australia, Holland, Sweden, you're not going to get any joy. They they have to stick to what they can do. And, you know, Australia are another reasonably fancied team heading into the, the games. They haven't been in the best form recently, but um, you know, they, they could do reasonably well. And Japan for the most part, again it, it was only a friendly, but for the most part they were they were completely in control of the ball. Um so I think that's fair. They will build. They'll they'll push on, you know, the fullbacks will push on as well. And the the forwards, they they do get stuck in. They're not they're not weak by any means. But I think yeah, definitely it will be it will be based upon keeping the ball, moving it around quickly, and, and looking for those spaces to capitalise upon, right. rather than than trying to go toe to toe with with bigger, more physical teams.
1: Yeah, definitely. And and Japan drawn in a group with uh, Team GB, Canada, and Chile. Um, quite a tough. Mm. Gr- I mean, they're all quite tough groups because of the size of yeah. the tournament. Do you, what other kind of expectations um, for Japan? Can they win it?
4: Um. I think winning it is, um, is going to be a tall order um, just because, you know, America are there and America just seem to be on a, on a completely different level. Um, and as you mentioned, the, the group that Japan are in is, is not easy either. Um, it's, it's such a tough competition. And again, it depends on, on how the draw goes, how you get through, you know, as, as we saw with, with the England men's team at the Euros other big teams get knocked out by other teams. You know, it's, you don't have to be everyone. So it's not impossible for them to get a medal. If they can build up a, a head of steam and get through the group on their day, they're, they're capable of beating most of the teams in the competition. But I just think if, if they were to, to make it to the final again, and they came up against America, it, it's going to take something super, uh, superhuman. The, the time they beat America in 2011, Homare Sawa probably played the game of her life. She was just phenomenal. It was the game was so touch and go. There were so many points at which it, it could have gone the other way, um, and I think yeah, for for Japan to win it, they they need to get past America. And yeah, there's there's obviously a, a lot of other teams in there. I think the Netherlands will be strong. I think Sweden obviously will be good. Um, Team GB obviously um, predominantly the England side, and and I don't think Japan have actually ever beaten them, or certainly not in a in a competitive fixture. So it's I don't think many people. Um, within football uh, are expecting them to get gold. There's obviously um, sort of an enthusiasm, a hope that they can, they can do well with it being at home and the fact that they've been able to to train in, in a kind of bubble here for so long and prepare, whereas other countries are obviously having to to overcome so many hurdles and deal with so many extra things that, you know, not just are they having to travel on the other side of the world, but with all the COVID um, issues as well. They'll, they'll probably be, they should be the best prepared team um, but I think a gold is. If they won gold, it would be an absolutely phenomenal achievement. But yeah, I think they're they're definitely one of the the half a dozen or so that that can be in, in with a with a real shout of picking up a medal.
1: Yeah, definitely think so. And uh, just last couple of questions because obviously there's one Arsenal player in the squad, um, mm-hmm. very very big player as well in in Wabuchi. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I know that Arsenal tried to make that transfer happen kind of after the world cup and uh the japanese the the jfa kind of intervened and said that she couldn't move to europe until after the olympics and right. obviously the olympics got delayed and then she got parked at aston villa for a few months so it's been a really convoluted transfer to get her to arsenal mm. um alongside some of her, her best friends um in vivian Medema and lisa evans how how is uh, and i know she's been given the number 10 shirt for this tournament which mm. i know is is, is like a, a quite a big thing. How was she viewed in japan and were people surprised that she chose to come back to europe
4: um to to take the first question yeah and being given the number 10 is is a huge thing i mean i lost count of the amount of times the commentators mentioned it last night it's seen as such a a big deal in japan um and the fact that obviously Sawa had number 10 when they won it there were lots of references to her taking over that mantle. She, she is the main player. She is the star of the team and she's the one that everybody is, is looking to to provide those moments that, that decide games in their favour. Um, obviously, there's, there's a lot of talent in the team, um, but she is seen as, as the kind of star um, and being given number 10, um, you know, from a, not just from the, the football side of things, but from a marketing point of view, from the branding point of view, that, that, that situates her clearly as, as the kind of figurehead of the team. Um and yeah, it was it was a bit of a surprise really that she went back over to Europe. Obviously, she'd been in Germany for a while previously, and and when she came back, um, you know, as with as with male players really, they they go abroad and and once they come back, it's kind of seen as okay. Well, that's it. They're they're back now. Um, when I interviewed her a couple of months ago, I kind of asked about that, and she just said, well. She she said that she wanted to come back to be able to prepare for the Olympics. For her, the Olympics was was such a big deal. She always wanted as soon as as soon as Tokyo was decided as host, she said that she wanted she had that as a target where she wanted to, to achieve success. So the way she framed it, I don't I don't know as much as, as you know there. Obviously you said that, that maybe the JFA had something to do with it, but she said that she wanted to come back and be able to prepare properly by being here for that that she always had it at the back of her mind that if if the chance came up she wanted to go abroad that she, she enjoys that challenge of being abroad the you know everything that goes with it not just um, on the pitch but the, the living in a different country the, the making connections with different people the trying to learn another language um, so there was an element maybe from people within the game of, of surprise that she went back over and obviously that she went over to for Aston Villa, who obviously were not one of the strongest teams in the the WSL, um, although obviously it's, it's a growing league and, and each club is is trying to to establish itself. Um, but yeah, there's excitement. Um, again, the the women's game is not followed particularly closely here. People have obviously heard of Arsenal because the men's team is so strong. So there's the assumption that that it's a big club, and obviously the the women's team as well is is one of the most successful, if, if not the most successful. I don't know. I have to admit, I'm not. Sure of the trophy count myself, um, but it's yeah, it's it's huge. And again, with with the Olympics now, if she can if she can do well and and help Japan win a medal there, then it will definitely add to the interest of more and more people will be following to see how she does does with Arsenal in the the coming season.
1: Yeah, definitely. And, and and it is incumbent on me to say on this podcast that Arsenal are the most successful team in England by quite a long distance. So I do apologise. <laughs>
2: I'll put that on
1: record. Um, my, my final question, actually, you know, you referred to your interview with her back in, in April, uh, which was mm. published in The Guardian in the UK. Um, And obviously at the time, uh, when you read the interview back now, there was a lot of uncertainty over whether the Olympics would even still be going ahead or under Mm. what circumstances. And, you know, there's stuff in there like um, I'm prepared for it to be cancelled and and things like that. But uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you about, she she talked a little bit about maybe some of the stress of competing Mm. um, during COVID. And I wondered if you could talk a little bit more about that in the conversation you had with her.
4: Yeah, well, the, the main thing she was saying was, you know, I think, and it's it's been coming out a little bit in the news um, from sort of different perspectives, but the, you know, for for everybody, when it comes to these competitions, whether it's the Olympics, whether it's World Cups or, or European Championships or whatever, it's not just about about the games. Um, you know, the, for the athletes, you always hear stories of the athletes, you know, the goings on in the athletes' village, the the athletes going out into the the host cities and, you know, being spotted at tourist sites, meeting fans. And there's that whole kind of, I don't want to use the cliche of, of carnival atmosphere, but there's so many other things that come with it. Um, and all of that is, is going to be lacking now for the athletes. I, I sort of touched upon the, the hurdles that the, the media are having to jump through and, and for the players themselves and everyone's sort of close to the teams, coaches, media staff associated with the teams, my understanding is they're having to do covid testing every single day they're being kept in these bubbles so you know there's there's not going to be that release in between games where you can just all go out together and get a coffee and maybe you know meet some fans or just go out for a wander around and and stretch your legs and and blow off some steam they're going to be in hotels together for the whole time they're going to be ferried to and from the venues and they're not going to have any kind of Interaction with each, with you know, with I guess even with other teams, there's probably going to be so many strict protocols. How how well they can be enforced, we don't really know. Um, but I think yeah, she was touching upon that fact. Not not just the the being cooped up and not being able to to get away. You know, I I think that everyone gets on well within the team. But you know, if there are certain players that don't quite have the best relationship maybe normally you know two or three of you can can go off somewhere else and you but you're going to be with the same people every day all day pretty much for for the best part of a month if they if they make it to the end it will be more than a month obviously um and on top of that she said obviously the with regards to the covid testing you know you're always going to have that in the back of your mind what what if i what if it does come back positive you know we saw with with the england players at the at the euros with with Mason Mount and and Ben Chilwell had to then self isolate. It then means you need to rea- reassess who you know Southgate then had to change who he's going to play for certain games. It throws so many things into doubt. So for the players to to also have this burden as well as the the regular stresses of of winning the next game of of progressing of trying to win a win a medal, I think is something else that definitely needs to be kept in mind.
1: Yeah, definitely. And you know, reports today there are a couple of GB athletes in in other sports who have tested positive for COVID, and that's it. They can't come over. That's you know, Olympics over yeah. for them, and that's you know, be hugely upsetting for them. But fingers crossed. Yeah. Um, well, that's the other like thing. That. There was, yeah. um,
4: I think it was a, I forget. I think it was South Africa sevens rugby team as well. They arrived. They all tested negative at the airport, but somebody on their flight had tested positive. So they were all deemed as close contacts and for the time being had to self-isolate. their you know their training schedule then is all thrown into disarray. Um, so you've got the impact on those athletes themselves. and but then you're also going to have the thing for say, for example, three or four of the American players test positive, they have to pull out of the competition. You're then always going to have that asterisk next to the tournament of this team won, but the strongest team had to pull out. It could be one, two, three teams. Um, Kyrgyzstan were here playing some men's qualifiers for the World Cup recently, and all three of their goalkeepers were ruled as close contacts of someone in the squad who'd tested positive. So they had to play two games with with a defender in goal. I think you know you you run the risk as well of of sort of calling the the integrity of the competition into doubt as well there, there's so many things hanging over it um so for the players yeah it's just there's so many things going on it's it's going to be so difficult i think to for them to focus and and really you know give their best performances with with everything going on in the background
1: yeah definitely and and fingers crossed that i mean the whole games and and the women's football tournament kind of go off without a hitch mm. it, it does feel like um, you know something like that it really really could happen but yeah. nevertheless uh, Sean um, taken quite enough of your time um, this well this morning for me uh, more not morning for you at the moment but thanks no. so much for your insight and um, you all. know ob- obviously I kind of want team GB to win but I'd love to see Manu Iwabuchi <laughs> come back to Arsenal with a gold medal around her neck so uh, and obviously like most football fans always love watching the japanese team so Mm. best of luck to them as well and enjoy covering the tournament
4: thank you very much
1: thanks a lot for your time and that's all we've got time for for this episode massive thanks to all four of our guests across these two parts Anne-Marie Posmer, Netherlands, Samantha Lewis Australia, Rich J. Laverty of Team GB and Sean Carroll with Japan uh, we really hope that you've enjoyed and valued and um, the preview for the Olympics I know for those of you who are watching the men's Euros, it feels a bit soon to be talking about another tournament but personally I'm really looking forward to watching as many of these games as possible uh, most of them kind of kick off in the morning uh in in uk time um so i'm kind of looking forward to to sitting down and watching some of those i'm really interested in watching some of the teams that perhaps don't get to see that often nowadays a bit like japan um actually a team i've got a huge amount of time for and obviously will keep a very very keen eye on mana iwabuchi um who will be kind of coming back and she will be an arsenal player um this summer that's all we've got time for for this episode. Thanks so much for downloading, for listening, um, for feeding back, for retweeting everything that you do um, to make this podcast reach more people, more ears. If you'd like to re- leave it a review on iTunes or wherever you leave your podcasts, that would be fantastic. Please specify that it's the Arsenal women ask cast that you're reviewing so that that makes its way to myself, Pippa and Alex. And really, really thank you. We will be back with another episode probably in a couple of weeks. Um, We might kind of preview uh, Arsenal's Champions League qualifiers. Obviously, they'll be playing in Russia in August and more towards the end of the transfer window. We will be, we'll probably do an episode just kind of previewing some of the new signings that Arsenal have brought in and will be bringing in with the people who know them best. A um, couple of Scandinavian players, I believe, in the crosshairs at the moment. So we'll probably do that once uh, the market calms down a bit and we're closer to the end of the window. But until then, thanks so much. Hope you've enjoyed this episode and goodbye. Goodbye.